Welcome to Unveiling Organizational Culture, the podcast where we delve deep into the inner workings of the Toledo Museum of Art and other organizations and explore how culture shapes success, employee engagement, and overall performance. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer McCary, and in each episode, we'll be joined by a TMA team member, board member, or other industry experts and leaders to gain insights into the different facets of organizational culture. In today's episode, we will discuss some of the inner workings of the Toledo Museum of Art and what we may have in store for the future. Who better to discuss this topic than our very own Edward Drummond and Florence Scott Libby, director of the Toledo Museum of Art, art scholar of ancient art, who also happens to be a transformative leader and change agent, Dr. Adam Levine. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Yeah, great having you here. So before we begin our discussion, could you please just tell our listeners a bit about who you are? I'm sure everyone knows you, but share a bit about your professional journey and something you're comfortable sharing about yourself personally. Sure. Uh, Before answering that, let me just thank you for uh, everything you do for the museum. This is a podcast about culture. And uh, part of the way we're thinking about operationalizing it here is actually putting resource against it nowhere more visibly than in creating an umbrella called People and Culture that you steward. You're doing a remarkable job across so many different touch points, of which this is one. I have really enjoyed listening to each of the episodes of the podcast, and I hope that uh, this one will will live up to the standard you set from all the others. But uh, to answer your question, so I think the way people tend to think of one's professional journey is as this straight line path usually as articulated in some press release that someone finds about someone when they Google the individual. And mine has been anything but. I've worked in a ton of different environments from auction houses to investment banks to startups to museums. And, I, and that's certainly been, been formative, but it was it was not a fait accompli that I would end up in the museum field by any stretch of the imagination. But at the end of the day, I made the decision to pursue a path in museums because I believe so strongly in their capacity to be change agents in society, to expand worldviews, to teach history, to engage community, and felt strongly that uh, there were opportunities to not just advance that mission in the 21st century, but also help museums uh, operate differently so that they could more efficiently execute that mission. But the personal thing that I'll share is that my family is from Perrysburg, Ohio. Uh, My fiance is born and raised in Perrysburg. We have a 10 year old um, uh, who's from a previous marriage of hers, but I've been in his life since he was two. So I uh, am, while I'm originally from New York, the family that I've created as an adult is from the Toledo area. And the reason that I am here has as much to do with the extraordinary opportunity as the museum that this museum presents as it does uh, with my family. And I think it's important that uh, people remember that decisions about careers are just one component of personal decision making. Mm -hmm. Um, And at least for me, my family is an incredibly important 50% of it. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So Adam, under your leadership, TMA is taking great strides toward redefining our organizational culture. You initially joined the museum in 2012 and have served in several capacities here before taking on directorship elsewhere. You just kind of talked through some of that. And ultimately, you returned here as our director and chief executive officer. 
So you've experienced several variations of organizational changes and culture shifts. What are some of the ways you've seen TMA's culture change over the years? Yes, as you, as you said, Jennifer, I've been in the role, I've been at the Toledo Museum for 10 years, 10 of the past 12 years. So it's been fascinating to see it from within under another director to be the director and then to have this two-year window where I was gone. So I had a, a sort of pre-post. And I would say that you know some of the changes that we've tried to put in place are uh, related to employee focus. And making sure that we're really, uh, really focused. And clearly, COVID and a higher inflation environment had something to do with that. Um, but really, making sure our employees feel supported, and not just supported from nine to five, but supported when help is needed, and that's unpredictable for all of us. Uh, and I think we made really great strides there, not just through the people and culture umbrella, but you know, even through our through our HR now called people and talent department, thinking thinking about employee benefits holistically. Um, and making sure that we treat people like an asset, which is to say we should invest in them. Um, I think that's maybe been the signal change, uh, and it aligns, of course, with our strategic objective to become an employer of choice. And it's a journey. We've still got work to do. There is no there, but I, I do feel like we've made a lot of progress and um, are really proud of the team for uh, for investing in that way. Uh, but I also would just want to note that uh, I think there's an awful lot of consistency as well. You know, one of the things that I sometimes joke is that, and it's it's really horrible this year, um, but I'm a New York Giants fan. <laughs> uh, really, really bad. Um, uh, yeah, it's actually, we're in, a, we're in a good region because it's a good year to be a Browns, not a Lions fan. Um, right. but, uh, bad to be a Giants fan. Uh, and one of the, my jokes is that, look, it doesn't matter who's on the Giants team, right? And they're a free agency, the game has changed, right? Blah, blah, blah. But the Giants always play like the Giants. They play up or down to their opponents, right? Two weeks ago, we almost beat the Philadelphia Eagles. We have no business being in the same building as the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> That's what we do, right? No matter how good a team is, no matter how bad a team is, we play to the level of the team. It's a funny fact that teams, organizations have DNA. And the Toledo Music Arts DNA is about community and quality. It, al it always has been. Um, from our second director, um, following on Almond Whiting's very short tenure, George Stevens made this institution about community. And Edward Drummond Libby and the other founders ensured that it was about quality concomitantly. And those twin strands to our DNA, those are the two strands to our double helix, have been perpetuated for 120 years. And it doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter who's on the team. That is the museum's DNA. And that is part of our secret sauce. Love it. Thank you. That's really great. So we know that culture and strategy should complement and nurture one another. What are the steps an organization should take to cultivate a healthy and inclusive culture? And you started to touch on this, but if you can expand. Well, I think, I think there are two parts to it. And one I already touched on, which is really centering employee experience and investing in employee experience. Uh, and employee experience, right, is not just some gimmick for, uh, or, or is not jargon for, well, let's make sure that we have a picnic every summer, but we do have that. It's uh, about making sure that employees feel supported by their organization and valued in everything that they do, which I think, you know, just also brings me to the second point that I think is really important, which is uh, to have values, that reflect the team. So our values at the museum, diversity, innovation, community, and trust, which mm -hmm. were developed for our strategic plan, were developed by our staff 
We had our learning and interpretation team do exercises in each department. And uh, we took the inputs from all of those departmental activities, rolled them up, synthesized them, fed them back to the staff. And the staff said, yes, those are the values that we want for the strategy. So they reflect our team. They reflect our team's desires. And we execute against them. So I think it's really important to have values that reflect the team culture. And then culture is actually the sum of the actions mm -hmm. of all of us on this team. So our actions have to align with those values. And if mm -hmm. you have actions that don't align, then you're destroying culture. And if you have values that reinforce or activities that reinforce those values, then you're building culture. Mm, I love that. So you actually just described the values and started to touch on this as well. Can you describe some ways that you work to embody our values and why is that important to shaping culture? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's incredibly important for leaders to model behavior. Uh, it's very difficult for someone to hold themselves to a standard that their manager or their leader doesn't hold themselves to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even before these values were articulated, I was thinking about these things, right? You know, there is no director's parking spot anymore, um, which is something that sort of predates you. These are these are important signals. They're not trivial things. But, you know, there are four, four values, as I mentioned, diversity, innovation, community, and trust. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I could talk about each of them, but I think for the purposes of this conversation, just to choose one, a way that I try to embody the value of trust is, um, and you know this directly, um, uh, as a direct report of mine, is, uh, of course, I always have an opinion. <laughs> and I have a part of the way that this team so effectively manages up is they know when to ask, right? Don't ask too early, um, because there will be an opinion. But uh, but I, I try really hard to subordinate that. Mm -hmm. I try really hard when I'm in brainstorming mode or invited into brainstorming mode to say, look, this is just an idea there's absolutely no reason to execute against it. Mm -hmm. um, and to really put myself in a position of trusting the output of this team, right? Mm -hmm. I view my mm -hmm. job as hiring a great senior leadership team and giving you all resources and to have that cascade through the organization rather than making decisions and micromanaging along the way. I'm right. a really flawed person and will continue to get better at doing that I have an executive coach precisely for this reason, um, but but I do think that um, I hope that the team feels, I certainly try to exhibit trust by making it clear that I want decisions to be made at the appropriate level. And indeed, you know, you are overseeing our operating model, which is different than our org chart. Mm -hmm. um, and we have designed the way that we execute the projects of our strategy and expressly this way to distribute work to project teams that are cross-functional and based on expertise, not on hierarchy, that we seat decisions with the right people and we trust people to do their work. Um, so that would be a way that hopefully I am modeling something that has then been systematized and is flowing across the organization, not because I model it, but it certainly wouldn't work if I didn't. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I think that everybody sees you uh, embody all of the values uh, and help contribute to belonging here at the museum as well. So that is great. So as a part of your work, you travel quite a bit. 
Can you help our listeners understand the importance of that travel and what it sometimes involves? And then what do you believe is the benefit of having a national and international network? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I will actually connect that to two of our other values and sort of diversity and community. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things which I do think sometimes surprises folks when we talk about it is um, when I am in town, I am out, right? That there are few people, there are some people, you know, Rhonda is definitely out more than I am, um, <laughs> but there there are a few people who are out in community as much as I am. And when I say out in community, it doesn't just mean, you know, um, with donors or politicians, it means I'll be at the MLK breakfast next week that Alpha Phi Alpha puts on every year, right? It means that I go to the Milestones Awards. It means that I'm sitting in Toll House, right? It means that I'm really trying to have my finger on the pulse of what people in the community think, you know, just by just by living my life. And one of the things that people say when you're out in community is they are so proud of this museum. And they are so proud of the way that this museum connects globally. There is no place in Toledo, Ohio that condenses 6,000 years of human history in six continents other than the Toledo Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. We have some incredible multinational companies, but we connect this place to the world and the world to this place in a way that is differentiated. Um, and I firmly believe as a native New Yorker that Toledo has way more lessons for the world than some of the coastal cities do. Mm-hmm. Right. We have we are an international city. We have values that resonate deeply internationally. So I think one of the things that I hope that the museum does is it also gives this town, which has gotten a lot of recognition in the past few weeks, right? One of the best places to live, Barron's, one of the best places to retire, possibility for fastest growing real estate, according to real uh, real estate market in the country this year, according to realtor.com. Lido is getting some of its swag back and the right. museum should be part of that. But look, that but that's not why I travel. I travel, I do travel expressly for museum purposes, but it's in the service, making sure that we are telling a global story. You know, we believe strongly, not me, we as an organization, it's in our strategy, it was team built, that a rigorous focus on quality leads to belonging. Right, that diversity emerges out of an equitable system that seeks quality, but mm-hmm. that quality must be sought globally, and that is the story that we have always see- sought to tell at the Toledo Museum of Art from our founding. So the reason I travel so much is because I'm sort of the scout and growth officer for um, a bunch of different arenas of our storytelling to our local and regional audience, but about a global narrative. So when I travel, it's sometimes fundraising, it's sometimes partnership generation, it's sometimes provenance issues and engaging with sort of foreign governments. Uh, And it is also frequently aligned with an art fair so that I can also look at artwork that we might consider for acquisition and get a sense of what a local creative ecosystem looks like. So when I travel to a place like Nigeria, it's for all of those reasons. It's not just for one of them. I'm mm-hmm. doing all four things on that trip. And I travel to Ethiopia, the same thing. When I travel to London, the same thing. So the, the job is not just to go to a place for a single reason. You try and align it to get the most bang for a buck. 
Um, but that is what I'm doing on those trips. And it is all in the service of connecting resources, collections, opportunities back to Toledo and finding opportunities for Toledo to broadcast itself into those international conversations because we have so much to offer. Yes. Yeah, no, that's great. And I didn't know some of those things as far as Toledo um, really rising again in the forefront. And so thanks for bringing those things up. So when you think about the term data culture, what does that mean to you? And why is it important to the functions of the museum? So at the outset, your first question, I alluded to the opportunity to make museums operate more efficiently. And I want to make it very clear, this is not something that we are unique in. This is not a, a an opportunity that the Toledo Museum alone, uh, Toledo Museum Art has alone has identified, and we are not the most advanced or sophisticated organization that's thinking about how to drive efficiency across the museum. But, you know, another line that you've heard me use, Jennifer, is not-for-profit doesn't mean we're for loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, in 2020, I I arrived in April 2020, we were at a $15 million, $15.5 million operating budget. This year we'll be close to a $23 million operating budget. And we've decreased our endowment draw to the appropriate 5%. And uh, it's not as if we've distributed proceeds to shareholders with that growth. We've increased compensation 42%, mm-hmm. right? We have expanded our exhibitions profile. We have rebuilt our curatorial department. We, uh, I saw the LinkedIn post that you and the team um, worked on with marketing about uh, you know, 30 new team members and you know, uh, almost more um, internal promotions last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a team that deserves to be invested in. We're centering the employee experience. We have ambitions for our community to have programming that is second to none. And we need to offer those things and we need to keep up with inflation. We need to keep up with the economy. Nonprofits suffer from something called cost disease, an economist called cost disease, and that it's hard for us to drive efficiencies in our model. But one of the ways that we can do so is by leveraging tools that other industries have used adapted for our culture, adapted for our model, and certainly using data to make more targeted decisions rather than more uh, gut-based decisions is part of that. Now, that doesn't mean that our curatorial program is driven by concept testing, um, but it, 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 we are still a creative industry, but it is about how we bring data into decision-making as a complement to the things that we're really good at um, uh, in the creative spaces to make ever more informed decisions, to drive efficiencies, and frankly, to save time and money, because that time and money can then be better reinvested into mission and can help us grow the offerings that we're able to provide this community. So data culture is about creating a culture that centers data as part of its operation, but not a culture that subordinates humanity to data. Hmm. I like that. All right, so kind of in the same vein, there are a lot of projects happening at TMA that truly make the organization stand out and places us on the track to becoming the model museum. So when you think about initiatives like TMA Labs, our work with NFTs, the reinstallation, what are some of your hopes for ways these efforts can continue to shape our future? 
Uh, well, you know, so I, I you, as you know, Jennifer, you know, um, one of the things that uh, I I do, um, and you know, intimately because you frequently take a look at a first draft, is I email the staff every Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, and during COVID, it was twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So I could provide, provide a COVID-related update and then sort of a more general operating update. So I've, I've mentioned this in a previous email, but it, it's worth repeating that another one of our values is innovation. Uh, and that word is used um, in a pretty homogenous way frequently, but there are all types of different, all different types of innovation. Uh, so if we say we want to be innovative, that's wonderful. Um, uh, I would say there's almost a societal pressure nowadays to say you're innovative, but that's different than understanding what type of innovator you want to be. The Toledo Museum of Art has political capital stored. We can afford to take risks. We should take risks, but that doesn't mean every risk is created equally. We don't necessarily want to be on the bleeding edge, right? There's a reason it's called the bleeding edge. You get cut there. That's probably too far out for us. So what we've decided is we want to be what's called a fast follower. Mm -hmm, we, want, mm -hmm. we want other people in other industries who have more capital, right, or have higher risk tolerances to try things out. And we don't necessarily need to see other museums do things, but we need to see other things move from being a fad to being a trend. Mm -hmm. And then we can say, okay, these people have blazed the trail. We can sort of follow in their footsteps, adapting lessons learned for our environment. So that sort of model of innovation has allowed us to do things like enter into the Web3 space, but do, do so a little bit after other institutions, but do so in a way through a digital artist residency that builds capacity in our local artistic ecosystem for engaging in Web3, um, that better aligns, I think, in some ways um, uh, than sort of with other projects with our existing program. So bringing Osanachi, a Nigerian artist in residence during our exhibition on Jacob Lawrence's residency in Nigeria in the 1960s. Um, so I think, right, these projects that you see us leaning into are examples of fast followership innovation. And TMA Labs, which you mentioned, is sort of going to become over the next year, I think the umbrella for a lot of the work around technology. Uh, how do we think about technology and the way we design program and the way we design space? Just as putting data at the center of decision-making requires a culture shift. Right now, I would say that our culture doesn't ask, how can technology make this better? How can technology make our lives easier? I think we think of technology as how can we use screens to help people interpret works of art? That's mm -hmm. only one use case for technology. Right, right. So I think TMA Labs started by incubating this digital artist and residency program that resulted in our Web3 explorations, but it should evolve into a close collaboration with IT, which is sort of the backbone infrastructure um, but really be a thought partner in helping us think about technologies integral to the design of our experiences and our spaces as we move towards bigger and exciting projects like the reinstallation. That's great. It's exciting for sure. So I look forward to seeing what else we're able to accomplish in the future with that. So Adam, talk to me about some of your hopes for TMA employees. What are some of the things that you hope all employees gain from working at TMA? So I, 
other sort of comp, uh, uh, maybe a non-traditional answer to this, right? Um, I want people to develop in their careers by working at TMA. Um, now, back into the 80s, museums have had issues finding career paths within the organization. Uh, some of that has to do with scale, right? A place like Google will have a lot more opportunities than a place like the Toledo Museum of Art or even a much larger institution like the Metropolitan Museum of Art. There's just fewer people, fewer roles, so fewer opportunities. But as you know, we've been incredibly intentional and you and Deb Ball in particular have been great thought partners in this, um, uh, Jennifer, um, in creating uh, diagonal pathways through the organization. So making sure that, you know, your only possibility for a promotion isn't what happens to your manager. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we also, through our operating model and giving people um, uh, uh, opportunities for extra responsibility, for leadership, and correlated compensation, um, uh, have been really intentional about cultivating people's skill sets. Um, uh, and obviously, there's a lot more that we could say about the way we do that, the skills, right. et cetera. Um, so I'm really, really passionate. And I think that's part of what investing in employees looks like and creating that employee-centered culture. Um, I'm really passionate about giving people skills that allow them to advance in their career. Um, but I'm also really happy for people who leave the organization with those skills and go on to do great things. I think about Maria I. Felice, who was such an incredible employee, but who's now doing amazing strategic consulting work in the museum field. She just worked with um, a great company, uh, Andres Santo LLC, to help with uh, the strategic plan of the Akron Art Museum uh, and with the Jocelyn Art Museum um, uh, in Akron and in Omaha, Nebraska, respectively. I love that she felt empowered and developed to go pursue uh, something more entrepreneurial and even more strategic. I think about Taylor Winston, um, who was in our HR department and left to pursue a startup after winning a pitch competition. And right. I think you have some visibility into this, but you know, in both those cases, I was personally invested in trying to help those people take that next step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. Trying to facilitate connections and sort of provide whatever insights I could offer through and whatever help I could offer through my network. And that might seem counterintuitive, right? I, these are great employees. I shouldn't want to keep them. But actually having these folks achieve what they want to achieve in their That's lives right. is actually right. more important. And I firmly believe that in the long term, the best thing for the Toledo Museum of Art is to have employees who came through and think, wow, that place did everything it could for me. Right. I completely agree. And I just That's want to say... This is not to say that we always get it right. This is not to say that, you know, there's not room for improvement around this. But to an earlier question, if I look back on where we were three years ago, three and a half years ago, and where we are now, I do think that it's been a quantum jump. Yes. Yeah. We want to retain people. Absolutely. We also want to see people succeed and follow their passions. And so it's great to be able to help them in that professional journey here. Correct. So, you know, to put it in wonky terms, right? We, you know, because we talk about it, I, I look at our churn rate. I, I want it to go down and it has been going down, but I mm -hmm. don't want it to be zero. I actually don't want that. I don't mm -hmm. think that's good or healthy because I want people to be able to springboard out into other opportunities. I want to keep great people here. I want to keep people here and engaged, but I also really want people to have fulfilling lives. That's right. Yeah. 
What about our visitors? What are some of the key takeaways you want them to know or things you want them to experience? Uh, so uh, obviously, uh, you know, one of the the key metric for our strategy is repeat visitation. So mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, like the behavior that I most want to see from a visitor is I want them to want to come back. Right. And that's that intersection of quality and belonging. If you come to the museum and you see something that's really great and you feel really welcome, then you're probably going to want to come back. Um, but, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the actual emotional valence that I'd like visitors to feel when they come to the museum, of course, I want them to learn something. Uh, of course, I want them to have their worldview expanded. Um, but I really like our visitors to feel a sense of joy. Uh, I was, when I was in Jacksonville, I was, I I met her previously in Toledo, but I was in Jacksonville. I was fortunate to become closer with and be mentored by Jeanetta Cole, who was from, from, who's actually from Jacksonville originally and had Mm -hmm. retired back there. Um, you know, she, the only thing I think she ever failed was retirement was her joke, um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, retired back to American beach, um, and was, you know, becoming more involved with the comer and remains So, um, under the incredible director down there, Andrea. Um, but, uh, uh, but, you know, we, we spoke about this idea of fun at the museum and she pointed out to me that you know, there, there is a, there is a sense of gravity to what we do in a museum, right? We do want people to have profound realizations about history, um, uh, and we want people to engage in serious and substantive dis- discussion. And it's not that fun precludes that, but it kind of has this um, surface connotation. Joy, I think, allows for that depth. It was Janetta's suggestion to think about thinking and replacing fun in my vocabulary with joy. And I really, really like that. Um, so I would like our visitors to experience the sense of joy. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Kaywin Feldman at the National Gallery talks about wonder, which I think is sort of closely related. But I'd like people to feel positive, but I'd like them to have an opportunity to feel something deeply. Yes, I love that. And I know that you were talking about visitors, but in thinking about Dr. Cole, one thing that I love that she taught me when I had the chance to meet her um, was really just the deep appreciation for frontline employees. She has a deep appreciation for the folks who are on the ground doing the work and, you know, talks about the fact that while it takes a ton of people to run an organization, there's a fondness that she has for the people who are on the front line. And so that just reminded me of that encounter with her well just to, to riff on that you know I'm, I I'm on the record at you know almost, almost every uh time I'm able to speak with a group of guards right of our right. of the system but certainly when I was with the visitor experience team recently um so I try and pop in to staff meetings whenever and our department meetings whenever invited and at all staffs you know the frontline staff are the most important staff at the museum by a long shot mm-hmm. and this is where um of course this is targeted at our staff but it's open to anyone on spotify anyone who listens to this i encourage you to visit the toledo museum of art and tell me anywhere that has friendly or frontline staff and that is also a cultural trait of this institution that I think is deeply embedded in our respect for and orientation towards our community. We have the best frontline staff, um, and uh, you know, art, art historians, of which I am one, 
you know, always exaggerate everything, right? Everything's extraordinary. Everything's the best, right? If we don't buy this now, we'll never get it again. You know, we love hyperbole, but the gauntlet is thrown down. Our frontline staff is the best full stop, right? Um, we'll, I, uh, I stand by that with, uh, you know, 10 years of seeing how incredible this team is. For sure. For sure. Thank you, Adam, for sharing your valuable insights on all things related to TMA and organizational culture. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or advice for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, to the extent, as I just said, that this is our listeners are primarily intended to be our staff, I have to say thank you. Um, uh, so thanks to you specifically, Jennifer, for all the things I said at the beginning, for doing this, for championing culture, for helping us operationalize some of our ideas around it. But to our staff, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for your patience. Thanks for being a part of the journey, because a journey it is. And as you know, as we've been discussing, we made a lot of progress, but there's a lot of work still to do. Um, and I'm excited for it. So thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for supporting us on the way. And thank you, Adam, for your leadership. We truly value and appreciate you here at TMA. So that's all for today's episode of Unveiling Organizational Culture. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and gained valuable insights. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow our podcast and leave us a review. Don't forget to share this with your colleagues. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, be well.